welcome to the latest podcast from the Stevenson Harwood International Employment Law Team. My name is Laura Anderson and I'm an associate in the team and I'm also joined by my colleague Charlotte Varela. Welcome Charlotte. Great to be joining you Laura. So today we're going to be discussing the topical issue of employees working remotely from abroad. During the pandemic, many employees were working remotely from abroad and now, perhaps unsurprisingly, many want to continue these arrangements. As remote working has become the norm and it's proven to work for many businesses, it's also likely that other employees will have their eye on working abroad in the future. So, there's a range of issues to consider and plan for when employees are working remotely from another jurisdiction. And unfortunately, it's not just as straightforward as allowing them to set up a laptop wherever they can find Wi-Fi. There's a lot to cover on this topic, but today we're going to focus on the main employment law issues that you should be considering when dealing with any requests to work abroad from your employees. And we'll also flag some important immigration and tax related points, which will also be important to consider when looking at these arrangements. So Charlotte, do you want to start us off just by giving us an idea of the things that employers should be thinking about when they first receive a request from an employee to work remotely from abroad? Sure. So some of the key things to consider are, first of all, and before you go to the time and expense of accommodating the request, consider whether or not it is something that the company is generally willing to support, bearing in mind that the first one or two you deal with is likely to set a precedent for other employees, and it will be important to ensure that all employee requests are dealt with consistently. Next, get some clarity on whether the request is for a permanent change or a temporary change, and check if you have any existing policies in place that deal with such topics, such as a hybrid working policy or a global mobility policy. If not, it might be worth introducing one or at least including it in any post-pandemic hybrid working policy that many employers are now implementing. Employers should also consider whether the employee's role can be performed effectively remotely. Will they have a base there and can confidentiality be maintained? Will their lack of physical presence impact their work, the team or their clients and customers? And what about the time difference? Then there's the legalities. We strongly recommend taking local law, employment, immigration and tax advice in the relevant jurisdiction and consider how long this might take and how much it might cost. Last but not least, what contractual terms and variations need to be introduced to govern the overseas working arrangement and will they include long stop dates or maximum durations? Thanks Charlotte. There's certainly a lot to think about and the recent shift in the way that we work means that employers are likely to continue to receive these requests. Any requests for permanent relocation abroad are likely to in fact constitute flexible working requests, in which case the statutory process for dealing with flexible working requests, and of course any flexible working policy, should be followed. Other requests may be of a temporary nature or more informal, such as employees looking to work abroad for a month to visit family, um, or perhaps asking to work abroad during the school holidays. Ultimately, the easiest way to ensure consistency is to have clear policies setting out the extent to which the company is willing and able to consider remote working abroad and the process that will be followed. It will also be important to ensure that managers are trained up in the policies and know how to deal with requests so that they are dealt with similarly across the board. Thanks, Laura. We see varying approaches between our clients and often an employer's approach will be influenced by factors such as the nature of the business, the international footprint of the company, the type of role and size of workforce and any relevant regulatory constraints. An employer may choose to adopt a blanket policy where they do not accommodate requests to work abroad 
or they may want to give employees flexibility to work a certain limited number of days abroad per year. The potential issue with any blanket approach is that it could expose employers to claims for indirect discrimination. For example, non-UK nationals may be more likely to make such a request and be unfairly disadvantaged by such a policy. The employer would then have to show that such a blanket policy on banning remote working abroad is a proportionate means of achieving a legitimate aim, which it may be able to do, but any policy will need to be well thought through. Yeah, thanks Charlotte. Um, Dealing with claims inconsistently across the workforce may also give rise to direct discrimination claims. So, for example, an employee may try to claim that given their colleague's request was accepted, whilst their identical or similar request was rejected, that they've been discriminated against on the basis of a protected characteristic, for example, sex, age, religion, disability, or any other of the protected characteristics under the Equality Act. Even though there may have been a legitimate business reason for the decision, disgruntled employees who see their plans disrupted whilst others are allowed to go ahead may well level allegations of discrimination or indeed raise grievances about the process. Exactly. It will be crucial to ensure that there is fairness and consistency in the way requests are handled to reduce the risk of discrimination claims and grievances. Key to this will be ensuring that people managers are aware of and understand any policy in place and apply it consistently. This will avoid situations where they approve requests which later have to be revoked by the time they reach HR. That's right, Charlotte. And just to draw on another key point that you mentioned at the beginning, employers should always take advice from a local lawyer in the relevant jurisdiction to make sure that any local employment law, tax and immigration implications are considered when looking at the request. We often work with local council in other jurisdictions to make sure that our clients can make an informed decision when considering a request to work from abroad. And some of the key questions that we'd be asking local council are, first of all, whether there are any mandatory employment rights and entitlements that might apply regardless of what the employment contract says and indeed when these will kick in. So in some countries, uh, such rights and entitlements will apply as soon as the employee opens their laptop in that country and in others, the rights will take some time to apply or to accrue. What will be required from an immigration perspective? Does the employee have the right to work in the jurisdiction? If they don't have an automatic right to work, for example, citizenship or residency, then we'll need to think about what visa, work permit or other permissions will be required and indeed who will pay for that. The other thing is, what will the tax and social security obligations be for the employer and for the employee? Does the employee require to be registered with the authorities for these purposes? Of course, this local advice will always come at a cost and it will be really important to make sure that the advice is kept current and up to date if the remote working arrangements are to be approved. Yes, something that can often be overlooked is actually the cost to the company of accommodating these requests and also the requirement to stay up to date with foreign council advice going forward, particularly if they have employees working from various jurisdictions. On that note, Laura, it sounds like employees working remotely from abroad could actually acquire a greater set of employment rights than had they remained in their home country, i.e. the UK. Is this true? Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, each case will be very fact-specific, but depending on what the employee is doing, where they're doing it from, and how long they're doing it for, it's absolutely possible that they could accrue two sets of employment law rights and have the option of more than one jurisdiction in which to try and enforce them. From an HR point of view, that sounds like it will create some challenges. It's definitely a lot to think about here. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially given the importance of making sure that all the applicable statutory rights are being both met and documented according to the local requirements. This can, of course, also create some inequality between employees in terms of rights, such as annual leave and pay, minimum wage, family-related leave, and even termination rights. Of course, termination of employees can be tricky at the best of times, but this is even more so if you're trying to make sure that you've complied with the laws of more than one jurisdiction. And if things turn contentious, you can easily find yourself facing concurrent or successive litigation in multiple jurisdictions. It's really important to make sure that in complying with the laws of one jurisdiction, you don't then inadvertently breach the laws of another. Definitely. I think employers also need to ensure that the employee complies with any data protection or privacy laws in the country that the employee is working from, and that local advice should be taken on that and on intellectual property if the employee is likely to create any whilst abroad. IT systems should be secure and permitted to be used in the relevant country, and any confidential information should be protected in the same way that it should be for any employees working remotely whilst in the UK. Yeah, that's right. And any employer insurance policy should also be reviewed to ensure that any potential liability related to the employee or their work is covered when they're working from abroad. Definitely. So there's obviously a lot to think about. And as you mentioned earlier, just to touch on immigration requirements again, it's important to ensure that the employee has the right to work in the relevant jurisdiction. Unless they are already a national or resident of that country, there are likely to be visa and work permit applications required, or at the very least, additional immigration checks. This has, of course, become much more of a headache since Brexit, as British nationals can't move and work freely in other EU countries. Illegal working often has consequences for both employers and employees, including penalties, civil and criminal liability, and, of course, reputational implications for employers. So, unfortunately, it's not something that can just be passed to the employee to be responsible for. Yeah, of course. And as mentioned earlier... Employers should also seek specialist tax advice and encourage the employee to do the same. This is not our specialist area, but tax and social security requirements are evidently very closely linked to employment, and these considerations will be relevant for both the employer and the employee when the employee is working from another jurisdiction. Often the extent to which tax and social security is payable, or indeed deductible from an employee's salary, will be dependent from the le- on the length of time that the employee spends living and working abroad and also the employee's seniority and the work that they are doing. As I mentioned earlier, authorities in some jurisdictions require the employee to be registered even if no amounts are due. And again, the stakes are likely to be high for an employer's breach of any failure to comply with such obligations. So specialist advice in this area is really essential. Turning back now to the employment piece, if the arrangement to work remotely abroad is agreed, having considered all of the factors, then its details and terms should be clearly documented in an agreement or variation letter. Yeah, absolutely. So once you've reached an agreement with your employee, all of this should be recorded in writing and you should use this opportunity to make sure that the arrangements are really clearly set out and agreed with the employee. This will of course include a change to the place of work, either on a temporary or permanent basis and should include details of the conditions that will attach to the arrangement, such as the employee continuing to have the right to work in the relevant jurisdiction. Depending on the local law advice that you receive, you may also want to flag that any local law entitlements that may apply, or you may reinforce the application of English or at least home jurisdiction law and say that it it will continue to apply during any remote working arrangement. 
Any local advice that requires any other changes to terms and conditions, such as in relation to intellectual property and data protection, should also be included in your variation letter. And you should be clear that unless otherwise mentioned in the letter, all other employment-related policies, such as in relation to the employee's conduct, will continue to apply during the arrangement. Some other points to consider and include in the letter are... If there is a time difference in the host country, what hours will the employee be required to work? Will their duties change in any way to reflect the fact that they won't be physically present in the UK? Will there be regular or occasional trips back to the UK office and how are the expenses for these dealt with? Will the overall remuneration package need to be varied in any way? And finally, have the benefit providers been notified of a change in location and does this have any impact on the benefits that an employee currently receives? Whatever terms are agreed should be subject to continual review at regular intervals. And as already discussed, employers should think about setting a maximum duration for any overseas assignments, which should also be subject to further review. Agreements should also include that the employee is working from overseas at their own risk and that the employer will not be liable for any loss that they suffer as a result of the employee breaching any local laws. Thanks, Laura. Ultimately, employers should bear in mind that if you already have employees working abroad, you also need to clarify the terms as soon as possible, taking into account all of the factors that we've discussed here and confirm whether their situation is permanent or temporary. As it certainly looks like remote working is here to stay, employers will undoubtedly want to consider their approach to this carefully as it's likely to be critical in attracting and retaining talent, despite the headaches that, as evidently from our discussion today, a request to work remotely from abroad may bring. If you are currently considering requests from employees about working abroad, or if you have any general queries on the topic, then please do get in touch and we'd be happy to discuss them. We also have a podcast in the series on managing employees working remotely more generally, and you can find all of our podcasts on iTunes or by visiting our brand new Employment Law Hub at www.employmentlawweb.com. That brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening.